All right, give me one more. Test, test, test. Yeah, Let's do it. We're a little hot. We're a little hot. I was yelling there. Podcasting. We're doing it. Test. All right. All right, cool. Dive into it. Yeah, me neither. Same thing. Same thing, and then this fucking cold just got terrible overnight. Sorry, buddy. Football season taking a toll. I'm in a big argument with a DM right now about whether Shiano is going to succeed. So that's where I'm at today. Wow. I mean... I thought our Favreau argument was worthless. You were arguing with someone over the potential of Greg Schiano's success at well, he's Rutgers. he's a big writer, so it's like there's a little more. No, no, I mean, no, I get it. And I'm like, from Jersey. That's also a big part of it. That make I get you know because I was like in high school and middle school for the whole like run of dominance. So it's like Schiano was seven. Like was a big deal there. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's still though, still. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all that said, still. All right. Uh, well, we can get you out of your Greg Shiano wormhole here uh, by starting this podcast. So, welcome in to the Hold That Podcast Podcast SEC Championship Edition. Uh, I am your host, T-Bob Bear. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Brody Miller of The Athletic. Brody, what's up, man? Not too much. I'm doing better than you. You're uh, a little you're, sick today. Yeah. Uh, I feel I, I sound way better than I did this morning. I sound like complete shit this morning. A little bit better today than right you, now. Um, and then you just know. got dunked on on Twitter because you tried to make me feel bad for being late. Uh, you were and, late, so I'm glad you pointed that out. Thank you for yeah. pointing that out. And, but then I immediately responded to you with the receipts of me saying, I'm getting you coffee. You're welcome, by the way. Oh, I'm going wow. to be a little yeah. late. And no, you said, no, thanks, bro. That's cool. You so know, then you just, you know, you just try to... To look cool on Twitter when you knew the facts. Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, I think, I think it's interesting. I, I, I guess I didn't recognize that, like, if you're getting somebody coffee, you're allowed to be late to meetings. I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell, like, my bosses that next time. Honest I Honest question. Show up late. Honest to, question. To would to you meetings. rather me been here at nine thirty? Would you rather have the coffee? Um, I'll be honest. You can say one. I don't know. Oh, I don't really care about the time. To be completely honest, so I'd rather the coffee. All right, there for we go. sure. Uh, I just wanted to make fun of you with Amy. Just yeah, that works. Shout yeah, out to. I'm Amy. here for it. I'm just gonna um, bring receipts. Yeah, you're also here for Greg Shiano Rutgers conversations. Uh, all it's right, it's been a weird morning for me. Yeah, as we uh, dive into this week's episode, we are going to look back on some very interesting developments at A and M. Uh, I think it was the first time all season long where the defensive conversation is probably more interesting than the offensive conversation, it's fun. and uh, we will look forward a little bit to Georgia and the SEC championship. Uh, but first. If you love Brody and you love sports writing, you will love The Athletic. So go to theathletic.com <laughs> and uh, get a subscription. They're on sale right now, right? Yeah, I think there's a cyber... Can you give me a t-shirt? Uh, well, there's a thing going right now where... Yeah, like, I know. If I buy a subscription for I don't someone, have the ability to just be like, hey, I want to order a t-shirt. I, mean, I can give you mine. It's does he really actually you. work there? Um, anyway, go sign up for The Athletic and go buy all your holiday meats from A-Bear's Specialty Meats. Bocage in Jefferson. Now, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, I want to get into the nitty-gritty film talk. I want to get into defensive rotations. Let's and do it. This pass rush group, and I want to get into the Georgia game. But first, I feel like we need to start with something that is not X's and O's based. And I think we need to start with uh, Joe Burrow and kind of what you witnessed Saturday night, not on the field, but before the field, getting taken off the field, after the game on the field. Um, I did not get to see it live because our show goes right up until kickoff. 
What did uh, what was what was your reaction? Maybe even to the video though that has been making the rounds of the Scorsese-inspired tracking shot of uh, Joe Burrow running out on Senior Day. Yeah, have you ever seen a team done like an in-house video blow up like this? Did it's become like a phenomenon? Like multiple like national sites have done like stories on inside this video. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. It was really cool. I just didn't know it was like that big. But LSU social media department's been killing it. Oh yeah, give credit um, where it's due. They're really but, good but at the job. And it's Matt. Karen, Karen, uh, Karen, yeah, I believe. Yeah, Matt, Matt, Karen, who's the actual uh, guy working the camera on the shot, but it is a great shot. It is a great shot. It's it was really cool. And by the way, did you see the cut with? Uh, then he kissed me. So yes. it was literally like the Goodfellas Cabana shot. Yes, we played that on the. Uh, we played that on the show. This oh, that's morning. awesome. Um, but I mean, you you are witnessing a guy who I think I think one of the reasons why. That would be that that kind of shot would be great if you did it with anybody on Senior Day. Absolutely, but at night. Hundred thousand strong in the stands, getting ready to try to cap off a twelve and zero season. You can feel it in the air. And then in Joe Burrow, you have a man who is uh, the most legendary LSU football player probably since Billy Cannon. I mean, if Wait. we're just going by Heisman, right? You're talking about sixty years. So it was. Uh, I I think it is a video and it is a moment that will live on in LSU lore uh, in perpetuity forever. Well, I think what what that moment was kind of about was I think it's been this gradual thing on both fronts. Of I think it took a little while for Joe Burrow to kind of adopt Louisiana as his own. I don't. I think I've talked to people around his family and whatnot who say like I don't. They're like I don't think Joe really like truly like had this kind of feeling about Louisiana until maybe the Alabama game when you know that whole night and they come home and everyone's waiting I think that's when like it really clicked for Joe so yeah. I, it's not like Joe was immediately here and it's like I love this place and then I mean LSU and Louisiana they like Joe last year but then there's been this all these different moments the Texas game the Florida game the Auburn game the Bama game now this it's just been this subtle kind of meshing where these last I'd say three weeks it's really taken on a different level of this kind of mutual kind of colliding of I, I can't think of the right but just love and respect he slayed the dragon yeah and there's so many I mean, things he going slayed the dragon like the georgia win was great last year you you've written about how that was when the team kind of accepted him when, when that that was really his main leadership step forward uh like george game was great florida Texas, everything you mentioned but you're right it's it's a it's like a BCAD divide, right? Pre-Alabama, post-Alabama. And when you slay the big bad, you kill the emperor, you kill the dragon. Um, that is something that obviously meant just a, a, an incredible amount to everybody that covers or watches and, or loves LSU football. And it's just been interesting. I'm, you, know, you, go, you watch every Joe Burrow press conference now, and he's always been good in press conferences. So I'm not arguing that. But there's more of a, especially Saturday night's press conference, but it's been the last few weeks where you're seeing more of a him lean into it. You know, him really lean into the the culture here and him lean into like the love people are giving him. And his Saturday night press conference was a Joe Burrow that I've never seen before where you saw him actually taking in the moment and being like, first off, I just want to start by thanking all you guys in the media, which he's never done. No one does that. Not, and it could be a corny play, but it was it felt real because that's that's so not him. And he was just like, Hey guys, I just want to say thank you because like, you know, I know you get a ton of flack from us, but you guys help put L S U on go national, you guys help make me go national, and I just genuinely appreciate that. And and just his whole thing was Yeah, that, Brody was texting me immediately afterwards that uh, Joe Burrow had thanked him specifically. <laughs> I did not do the that. press conference. <laughs> no, actually. No, what if I just stood up I joked right after I'm like, like what if I just stood up and yelled like 
You're welcome, Joe. Yeah, you're welcome, dog. That you're was welcome. all me, dog. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been fun, man. Uh, I am good, aren't I? I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, and just that whole thing, there was just much more of an awareness of the situation. And I talked to his brother for a story that's going to run uh, Wednesday morning about just kind of this whole process of what we're talking about here and him winning everything over. And he was saying, you know, they were dr- he drove Dan Burrow to the airport, you know, yes, uh, Saturday night or Sunday morning, I should say. And, yeah. and, you know, they're dropping him off and Joe's girlfriend's like, you know, are are you, are you gonna are you getting sad about it? And he's just he's just kind of like it's like I don't know if I'm sad about it, but it's really starting to hit me that I'm really gonna miss this. And I and I it, it sounds like oh of course he's thinking that, but like I don't think those thoughts ever went through his mind three or four weeks ago. I just don't. Yeah, and and it uh, I, I think the moment that you highlighted coming back from Alabama and seeing everybody off the plane, um, hey, tweeted, and I that love you, video, Louisiana, yeah. that video where he's uh. Running down and high-fiving the hundreds of people through the chain-link fence. It just kind of shows how rabid it was. And and you're right, man. I was in, So I don't normally do the post-game stuff, but you don't go 12-0 too often. In fact, it's only the fourth time in school history, 1908, 1958, 2011, and now uh, 2019. So I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to be in that post-game presser. What I was struck by was, uh, you are right. He was more emotional, more raw, more real, but he also had the room eating out the palm of his hand. And I thought the same thing when I watched the video of him running out there for his senior day introduction. He had 100,000 people strong that he was kind of controlling with his energy. And and all I could think about, and, and I hate using this word because... A lot of like, you could almost say like political BS has kind of, I think, made these words into something that I don't necessarily associate with when you're talking about like the word alpha. Um, I'm not talking about any stupid like alpha beta talk. What I am talking about when I say alpha, I am talking about the word alpha in the most primal sense, right? A, a, a uh, ancient like caveman leading his tribe, a a wolf at the head of the pack, like all these old kind of old cliche things. I think it's rare that you see a true alpha in real life. And me and my brother-in-law were talking about this Saturday night. We're talking about great athletes and kind of the Michael Jordan it factor and how whenever it mattered most, he was the killer. Like Michael Jordan just knew he was going to be successful. And then you look at someone like Kirk Cousins who – uh, fair or unfair, you know, Monday night football, he falls to 0-8 on Monday night, and that's in the NFL. That's like your biggest regular season stage, right? And so, like, what is it? And Kirk Cousins is someone who is an incredible quarterback. Yeah, he's good. The vast majority of the time. Like, he is very damn good. So what is it that separates these athletes who, you know, on, on, on most days they're probably the same, but when you have to have it, some guys just rise to the occasion. And to me, that is the... That is kind of that alpha factor. It's something primal. I think it's innate. I think you can nurture it. I think especially with advances in sports psychology and mental training, you can you can learn uh, elements of it. You can improve in these regards. But I don't know if you can ever quite have it like someone like Mike or or like Joe Burrow has it unless you're just kind of born that way, man. And he just exudes a uh, a a kind of force around him, and I felt it during that game. Felt it during the post game press conference, where you could just kind of feel him. Like I said, almost almost warping reality. I think I've used this 
analogy on the show before, but in the Wheel of Time series, uh, where time is, you kind of look at time like a like a giant rug being weaved or whatever, right? They talk about this main character. He's your classic chosen one, dragon reborn type character. Well, um, it is said that his Taverin is very strong. And what that means is that he is warping the weaving of the wheel around him. He's almost like a, like a cosmic whirlpool that's kind of bending things to his will. And when I look at Joe Burrow, I know this all sounds crazy, but like those were the type of vibes that I got Saturday night in that stadium. No, I mean, you're not going to hear any disagreement from me. I mean, what I've always said about Joe Burrow is that, I mean, I, I, of course I never expect this, but I don't know if he's going to succeed in the NFL. I don't know. You know there's There might be quarterbacks in college football his, you know, this season or history that might be like literal better quarterbacks. I don't know. But I've always said about him is I know he has that kind of, and whatever happens in his NFL career, I stand by this, I know he has that trait that you're talking about. Where and That's why I think he'll be <laughs> successful in the NFL, almost yeah, as much I, well, as anything, is and that that's, trait. Exactly, and I think that's what I've always gone back to with the NFL draft stuff. I'm like, hey, before the two injury, it, was, it looked like it was going to be two or Joe, and, and I didn't know. I mean, two is one of the best I've ever seen. I would have assumed two would go one. But I said, actually, I said this more when Joe was in the 20s conversation. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know if Joe's that good of a quarterback prospect. That's not my job. But I know this much. I know teams fall in love with quarterback personality and things like that. And I felt really confident at least one team would take him in the top five or ten because of everything we're saying. And, and when I say these comparisons, I'm not saying he's as good as these people. But he, like everything you're saying, I've heard a lot of people just from a personality standpoint who've been around all of this say like there's that Tom Brady-ness, that kind of just like yeah. crazy person drivenness to it. There's that little bit of that, that Kobe-ness where it's just, and you use the, we all use those examples of, you know, he sees the, the, the cannon shoot through his jersey at the Texas game and he turns to Lloyd Cushenberry or Sadiq Charles and just says, all right, I'm going to go put up 400 on him. You know, it's just those yeah. moments that kind of galvanize the team and it's all can be really contrived when you talk about it, but it's just real with him, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that. Yeah, and 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 you know, and it can come in many forms. The alpha effect, right? Like yeah. you use Tom Brady, and that's that's a uh, kind of stern uh, view of that. Another guy that I see like that that feels different in how he does it is like Russell Wilson, right? Yeah, Russell Wilson is different. one of the most clutch quarterbacks of all time. He is a guy who constantly shows up and makes the plays when you have to most. But he's a guy who does it with a smile on his face and Burrow's probably somewhere in between. But uh I guess I guess I just wanted to start to reflect a little bit because um it has been one of the most legendary years in LSU uh football history and you have gotten to witness one of the most legendary players in LSU football history. And so enjoy these times, because although he will not be playing in Tiger Stadium anymore, you have at least two more games, maybe even more, of uh, of getting to watch this guy firsthand. And now let's see how alpha he can really be. Right? Let's see where this it factor goes from he's, here he's on He's about out. to face, if, say, hypothetically, things go chalk as they are now, I think he's about to face, I think, the three best defenses in SP Plus and all that in college football. I think he's about to face all three of them. If Georgia, he, Georgia's Clemson, number one. State. I'm pretty sure Ohio State's two, and I want to say Clemson's three or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So before we look forward to Georgia, let's uh, talk about this A and M game because, I'd love to. Uh, like I said, when I watched the film, and I only watched uh, the first two and a half quarters, I didn't get past that. Um, yeah, I think I got halfway through the third. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same thing. I mean, you know, yeah, like, when no these point. games are going to blow out, yeah. you're not getting a ton of value late. Like after I saw Braden Fajoko 
body plant, like just straight yeah. up throw all of his weight on Kellen Mond from the Grant Delpit interception. It's one of those hits that you see in real time, you maybe don't really appreciate how bad that hurt. It had to be a pretty defeating moment for Mond getting all of Vogel's weight on but that was actually the last play that I checked out. But uh, obviously the takeaway, like I said, the first game in which the defense – was more fun to watch than the offense, and it was because of the pass rush. First time in three years, they have six sacks. It's constant pressure. But the wild part, Brody, it wasn't just the raw numbers of how much success they were having, but it was how they were doing it. It was by far the most aggressive game plan from Dave Aranda, the most creative game plan from Dave Aranda, and it's kind of like, okay, like, Maybe it was just trying to find the personnel or the pieces, but like I would expect this to be more of the norm that you see going forward from here. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's an interesting thing because as much as the conversation has very fairly been criticizing this defense for the past month and a half, I think all that's completely fair. The pass rush, I'd actually argue, seemed to, in my opinion, I figured something out around mid-October. And I wrote that in my film breakdown Sunday night, and it's on The Athletic. I... I think around the Mississippi State game, and maybe second half of Florida might be the real answer, but around that time, you started seeing, you know, when Dave Aranda decided to get aggressive, they had a lot of success. And then the Alabama game, as much as that second half was a train wreck, that first half, the pass rush was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, fair. I want to say Alabama converted like one third down, and it was a third and short or something like that. That's I fair. mean, they've every single third and ten. They forced Alabama. They forced to it to scramble and throw it away. There wasn't. There was only one sack. So if you look at stat sack numbers, you're going to be like, oh, the pass rush has struggled. Not the case at all, in my opinion. Well, and 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 also real quick on the Alabama game too. Um, obviously, you aren't as hyper aggressive as you were against Kellen Mond because if you're that aggressive against Tua, you're going to die. So it was, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a little. It was like more conservative, but still very effective pass. And, rush. and even when you look at the second half of that game. Alabama ran the ball better in the second half, therefore were ahead of schedule more, so they weren't in third down passing downs. That's the the difference. You know point. what I mean? That's so again, the defense was a problem in the second half. I don't think the pass rush was. And then, you know, you lose Divinity, and I think that led to a little more growing pains, but you you can't look at the old Miss Games pass rush because they don't drop back and pass. That's not what they do. So you throw that one out. Arkansas, they got after the quarterback pretty well. Not amazing, but they also were not aggressive about that game. Again, again another one where like it was tough to get anything from Arkansas because it was obvious if you just added an extra guy to the rush, then yeah, the quarterback exactly. would panic, and that was it. You nailed it. So you're right. I mean, I completely agree this was the best game for the pass rush, and this was the breakout game, but I just personally kind of think they actually figured out mid-October. And yeah, they looked fantastic. I, I just thought that I thought that where this game separated, and maybe I haven't been watching closely enough, but where this game separated for me were uh, it seems like they finally completely nailed down the personnel grouping that they wanted that third down. Which didn't sorry to interrupt you. I meant to ask Ed on this on Monday and I blew it. Oh, you should but have texted did, me this morning. Did Damone Clark well, I think Damone Clark probably was only in that personnel set because Ray Thornton went down on the kickoff. Which is funny. Oh, we never asked though, so I don't know that. But Ray Thornton's been that guy. Well, yeah, but, but Jamal Clark, Clark looked had, fantastic. Yeah, he looked like continue your point. Natural. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, but I mean that was the most interesting part is that you had the redshirt freshman in Clark along with Marcel Brooks, along with Caleb on Chasson, and then um, and then Rashard Lawrence is your only big man. And what else they did this game, Brody? Have you seen? Had you seen this before then? Um, it wasn't just so they so they had a static personnel grouping yeah. in terms of the guys they were using. But positionally, oh, I so, mean, they yeah, were all over the place. 
Caleb on at middle linebacker sometimes. Jacoby Stevens at middle linebacker. Who's what? coming? Who's not? Grant, I think, was even once that inside yes, linebacker. Yes, Grant was a middle linebacker yeah. when he rushed up the middle. You wrote about it. He dodged around the center. Um, acting like you're rushing, then going man on the running back. Acting like you're rushing, dropping in a quarterback spy. It was like they were yeah. using guys so interchangeably and so many different stunts. That, yeah, as a deep, as an offensive line, like it would be... It, it, it seemed like they aimed to create, and maybe this is about, I hesitate to say it's about saving anything. But they obviously, so first off, the, the key thing is, like, and why you couldn't do this against Alabama, you do have to feel comfortable about winning your one-on-ones in coverage. Yeah. And something I really like about the Georgia game. We'll get to that. Uh, and then they obviously felt comfortable there. What that opened what up was, along with the rise of Mohampton, like, I saw... A a a they, they seem to aim to confuse the offensive line more so than any other game plan that I've seen this season. No, I think you know, and, and agree with you. I don't. I I love to go back and look back, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time he really did unleash some of those positional things you're talking about with yeah. different guys inside and whatnot. And some of that also might be a result of losing Michael Divinity because he would have, you know, when he was your your other guy there, he is a literal inside and outside linebacker. I don't I don't know the answer there, but you go. And it's almost perfect why the AM game bookends this season because the stuff they were doing, which is my story in this my story this morning as well, is literally what Dave Arana was talking about all summer, and they just weren't able to do yeah. because Todd Harris went down and they lost all their safety depth, and you have the Michael Weird to Michael Divinity stuff, and there's so many reasons for it. But he was talking in July, and Michael Divinity was telling us in August that they had plans for Caleb Vaughn in the middle, and they had plans for all this cool creative stuff. And they just never, and some of it might have been savings. That's the the real question, and we'll never we don't get asked Dave until the bowl games. But yeah. is it saving, or is it because you just weren't able to until now? But this was always in the plan, and then that probably ties into what we want to talk. Well, before actually we get to that, I want to say this was Caleb Chason's best game in the pass rush. Yeah, I won't no say it was doubt. his best game. I actually think some of his games blowing up runs have been more impressive, and he's been so good in dropping into coverage too. His Florida game, he was dominant. Yeah, exactly. I, I, might, think, I might highlight that one if we had and, to pick one. But this was the game where he was the best in the pass rush, and we asked him after the game, like, "Hey, what was what clicked?" You know, and he was saying. And Caleb Vaughn's one of the smartest players in this football team. He's, he's full of himself in a, co- in a fun, kind of charismatic, cocky way, yeah. but he's really smart. And he said, this is the most we rushed me all season. And he's like, which yeah, I don't think that? I really noticed before. I know they dropped him back, but I don't think I realized like they weren't rushing him that often. But he said, they let me go out at this time, and that made a huge difference. And, and what he meant was not even just whether I get the sack. It's something we talk about a lot on here. When he rushes, it means that other people are also going to get better openings, and he well, dominated. And like, and like, one thing that they're they're doing is it's like you said, it's not just him on the edge. He, his impact. So on a couple times, he twists around to the middle, had great success. But but the thing about that middle pass rush is on top, even if you don't get the sack yourself, uh, at times his rush up the middle was able to keep the quarterback from stepping up, which then led to hits yeah. coming from the edge. Um, I wonder if it's. It felt like everybody had more one-on-one opportunities because of how they added guys to the rush this week and because of how confusing they seemed to get. There weren't as many um, There weren't as many having to beat two guys, and I think everybody really benefited from that. And it's worth at least mentioning that A&M has one of the worst pass protections in the SEC. You know, it is like a, you have to at least throw that out there. I did not know that. Yeah, it's like in the 90s, I think, in sack rate and mm-hmm. whatnot. It's not a good one, but still, I don't think that changes what I saw, which is them doing different okay, so, stuff. Okay, so then, but then answer me this, because that is the question that I have. I said earlier that I think that this is more along the lines of what you'll see going forward. Obviously, yeah. a lot of this was game plan specific. Um, 
So I guess with that in mind, do you think that we continue to see as aggressive and as multiple of looks as we saw uh, last Saturday? Well, again, I think yeah. Like I bet you see more of this in the playoff. I don't know if you you need this stuff against Georgia, which thing about Georgia is though, like if there has ever been a game where you feel comfortable going cover zero, true. And just like, and I want to save that for when we, up on yeah. the box and like trying to Could get after Fromm and be like, if we get to okay, Fromm, and they kind of did this last year. It's like we're going to come after your ass and we're going to make you make decisions. We're going to make the wide receivers beat our coverage. Georgia's receiving core, on top of not being great to begin with, is now down their top two guys at least for the first half until Pickens comes back. Um, it would seem like you have a significant advantage in that area. Like you could get a little crazy this week. Absolutely, and I I want to save some of that till we really dive into Georgia. Yeah. But I, I yeah I I think there are problems with LSU defense. But I think LSU I've been saying this for about three weeks now. I think they match up perfectly to stop Georgia's offense. So I actually think that's why I think LSU kind of routes this one. But and, and again, I think we've probably covered the pass rush. But the last thing that's key to point out here. And it doesn't necessarily apply to third downs, which also I love Bill Connolly's uh, advanced box scores. Yeah, because it really gives you a picture. Like for example, like I think the best example of why they're good is uh, last year's LSU Auburn game, where LSU won that game, you know, on those crazy plays and all that. But I think Auburn had like an eighty-nine percent win expectancy based on everything that happened in that game, which I love. Which tells you LSU earned that win. Credit to them. But that might not be very replicable, which, yeah. I, which is what led to a yeah, 9 3 yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. LSU's win expectancy was 100%. Yeah. Which is pretty rare. Utter, if you, that, but, they put, put, go ahead and put the stamp on the revenge against AM. But what, what I wanted to point out, this maybe to put a cap on the pass rush talk, was AM's success rate on, pa- on in passing, which is how often you get the yardage you're supposed to, was 6%. Yeah. To be clear, average is like 44. You know, like. It's not good, bro. And they're passing down success rate, so like second and long, third and long, which goes to the pass rush, 0%. They did not convert a single first down on a passing situation. It felt like that. I didn't know know it was that extreme. It certainly felt like that. I mean, the the more basic stats, what, you end up 2 of 13 on third down, which is a lot of that comes from first down success. Like, it felt like A&M was looking at – like second and twelve, or like third and twelve, like the entire night, and and anytime you already struggle pass rushing, that's just never going to be good. One thing I did see that I looked to carry forward into like maybe like a Justin Fields matchup, right? If you have a quarterback like Kellen Mond that you're a bit worried about, I loved a lot of the looks where you know they got five guys walked up on the line and everybody looks like they're coming, but one guy backs out. He can, but he can be aggressive at first and then he pops out and there's your quarterback spy. And that can be somebody really athletic, right? It was Jacob Phillips at times, it was Jacoby Stevens at times. Like when it comes to any dual threat guys, would you throw um, Trevor Lawrence in 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 that like does he use his legs? I haven't watched. I think I, really this. Year. Honestly, yeah, I could be wrong. I think he's almost more like a Tua, where he's totally capable, but like his actual game, like Tua, is generally pocket based with mobility. Yeah, so I don't know if you go ahead and prioritize spying there, but certainly in an Ohio State matchup, I would expect to see uh, a lot of that replicated. So just something to. Keep an eye on going forward. Um, I feel like defensively, that's all I really wanted to mention was uh, the pass rush. Well, if you're hearing that ringing, um, one second. We might be dying. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> we didn't uh, die. Wait. Um, oh, wait. Are we dying? Wait. Are we? Uh, oh, God. Put in the launch codes. Okay. Well, um, God. one second. Fair enough. 
Wow. Did you see what I did to those guys? I mean, some guys tried to break into the studio. I had to whoop that ass. It was like 10 guys on one. Uh, Brody got hit immediately off the bat and crumpled to the ground. So I was standing over his body, just kicking and chopping and fighting my way to victory. And they were terrorists. Insanity. More sports big, though. I was there for you. What a podcast. You were. You were cheering me on. I had you. As yeah. you started to Locker, wake up. Clubhouse guy. Locker yeah. room guy. Yeah, yeah. That's who I am. Like Nick Swisher. I'm, I'm the Nick Collison of this team. I set screens all day. Bam. Hard, hard and heavy screens. All right, so that's a pass rush. Uh, sorry, some ringing was and going then, on here. Do you want to talk a little Mo Hampton and what that means? Yes, that's what I was. That's what I was going to say. You up? My melt. Um, yeah. So it's not. I, I don't want to overstate this. I mean, he plays. You know, like a a a, pers- you know, a fraction of the the time. But true freshman Mo Hampton, who two weeks ago was the very bottom of the depth chart. I mean, even when LSU's depth was so depleted that Grant Delpit had to play through injuries, he still wasn't even mentioned as a consideration for most of this fall. Yeah. That that showed, like, it's not that he was far. It's that even when they needed people, they didn't mention him. That's how far back Mo Hampton seemed to us, at least, in his development to be able to play. And then Ed Ogeron surprises us for the Arkansas game and says, Grant Delpit's going to take the week off. Mo Hampton's going to play. Surprised us, but makes sense. You know, Grant Delpit clearly needed to rest. Mohampton, you know, he's a top 150 player, has a lot of potential to give him a chance. He looked good in that game. When he came back, I thought, all right, that's probably the last we see of Mohampton, right? That's kind of that's what I figured. Yeah. We were wrong. He's now, I don't want to say it's exactly pl- filling in what Todd Harris's role was supposed to be, but he is now subbing in on pretty much most run looks we saw from AM. And I'm curious what this means going forward, if it's just going to be like that. But when his passing situations, you know, one tight end or no tight end. Kara Vincent was on the field as the fourth, the fifth DB, but when it was run, when it was two tight ends or other run base sets, Mo Hampton came in. He's a six foot, two hundred fifteen pound safety, really good. In- yeah, and here's why it's interesting: not just because oh, it's a good freshman, he's developing, which is good in its own right. It's that LSU had a lot of creative plans, which kind of gets what we were saying earlier. But they had a lot of creative plans for what they were going to do, and they were going to use these three, sometimes even four, safety looks, kind of like we saw in the Fiesta Bowl where they're playing five at sometimes. They because that's what LSU has; they're the better at anyone at. They have these versatile safety linebacker hybrid bodies that can like Grant Delp and Jacoby Stevens that can do so much. So they were going to use Todd Harris as a third safety, and they basically considered him a starter. And that was going to free, because the problem with this defense is, if you're going to say there's a problem, is Delpit and Stevens are both really, really good in the box. That's their X factors at. That's why Grant Delp became an All-American last year, and it's why Stevens has five sacks, three picks, eight and a half tackles for loss this year. They couldn't really do that, because you were low on safeties, you needed someone in the back end, especially in run situations, so it meant that Grant Delpit got neutralized, kind of, and he became a post player, which is frustrating for him and his draft stock, but you got to do what you got to do. When you had Mo Hampton out there, which again, only a fraction of the time, but it frees them up to start doing some of that. So you saw times where both Delpit and Stevens were in the box. Those some of those third down situations, which I forgive me, I don't know who if it was Vincent or Hampton in the field there, but you saw situations where Delpit would be the inside linebacker, Stevens would be the inside linebacker, things like that. I don't know how much they could do some of this without Mo Hampton. So so and and uh and you're and you're absolutely right. Um and I think it's especially impactful when you look against a Georgia team that is going to want to prioritize running the ball. That will allow you to get very creative there with Delpit and uh, and then Stevens and the rest of the linebackers. Now, at the risk of exposing our ignorance, um, 
Do we know, so when they were in their pass rushdowns, right, and they're sending that package we talked about earlier out there, who is, is there a third safety in the game at that point? Is it Flott? Is it, is it, is it Vincent? Like, it's usually Flott. I'm trying to get the full personnel grouping there. Well, I, th- I believe it's Flott and Vincent. So in theory, depending okay. on what you call Vincent. So you Vincent. got Flott, Vincent, Delpit, Stevens. That's four right there in your secondary. And then Fulton, Fulton Stingley, and Stingley. Okay, so you got six defensive backs. I, I believe it's one. Essentially, in. I believe it's one defensive lineman and four Lawrence, linebackers. Marcel Brooks, Kalevon Chasson, Damone Clark, Patrick Queen, Patrick Queen. Uh, so I believe it's one, it's it's basically a one four five. Wow, craziness, dude. Ma- wait, math is hard. One five five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no six. No, no, no. One four six. You got six DBs in there, right? Isn't that what we just did? Stingley, Fulton. Yeah, you're right. I'm the sorry Stevens, about that. Stevens, Delpit, yep. uh, one four Flott. six. Yeah, and they use this all the or time. Is there is there six? No, it's six. You're okay. right. Okay. And and this isn't new that they're doing this. Mm. This has been their third down package. And Vincent, yeah, yeah. It's been their third down package all season. But yeah. Well, but has it though, right? I mean, because that, that's what we're like. Like with the rise of because Cardell Flott wasn't always able to play. I feel like this is. I feel like all season they've maybe been trending towards this or flirting with this in that. I think they finally, like we said, I think they finally landed on the personnel grouping that they feel like they can uh, really use going forward. Um, either way, that gives you an idea of Dave Aranda's creativity, which this year we kept hearing about, but uh, you didn't maybe quite 100% see until uh, until recently. So so the rise of Mo Hampton is helping on the rundowns. This, I guess this is my overall point. The rise of Mo Hampton is helping on the rundowns and the rise of Flott. Has helped on the passing downs. Absolutely, and, and, really and, good this year, and, and freeing up little Delpit and Stevens to pass rush. That's a good more. point. I kind of forgot about Flot too. That's huge. And 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 the thing that I love about Delpit and Stevens in the pass rush is because of their numbers. If they're lined up on the line, you have to respect them. But then, I mean, screw a linebacker in coverage. If they drop into coverage, like that's great. Like you, you feel super comfortable about them, whether they're man on a running yeah. back or a tight end or in zone. You feel great about them if they're the guy that drops back for the QB spy. So uh, now, now the thing about this though, it's all contingent on winning those early downs. Because the only way yes. you can rock the one five six, the the one four six, is if you're getting into obvious passing situations. No, that's that's a huge point. That's like why we said with the Alabama second half they didn't get in those, but. That's where the credit, I think, when we discuss so many of these things, the LSU run defense doesn't get much credit. But that's the cool things we're seeing with the pass rush net right now don't happen if that front seven has been so good at run defense this year and on first downs and whatnot. You are getting into so many of those. So some, so many of these drives we're looking at, it gets there because Tyler Shelvin stuffed a run on first down. Apuaga and Shelvin looked really good this last did. game. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the run def- safety dance was a I, thing I of beauty. That. I actually missed it. Uh, have you seen it on Twitter? Uh, it's it's a jiggly happy safety dance. That's what we need. Oh, I cannot wait. Booty, it's even got a little booty shake. Based in it. on the way that all of his teammates talk about him, he ranks number one on the list of current freshmen who I cannot wait to be able to talk to next. Apparently, season. he is very funny. I've he's heard, like a huge like energy guy. Too, I've heard he's about. like Fat Joe Burrow is the comparison I heard, <laughs> which is fascinating. So like that same kind of like intellectual, weird, quirky, like weird thoughts about things Fat kind of Joe personality. Yeah. Oh man. Um, all right, so uh, anything on the offensive side? Oh, well, Cade York, unbelievable. Two 50-yard kicks. I mean, for all the talk of yips in the middle of the season, he's been perfect down the stretch. What is he on the year? I'm, I'm, I'm going to look it up 
real quick uh, so we can come back to York. Uh, offensively, anything stand out to you? It's so funny how these sort of dominant performances are almost becoming like run-of-the-mill like, yeah. It's like it's like oh yeah, Burrow threw for three. I didn't even watch the scores. offense this game. I focus on Great. the defense. Yeah, um, Jamar Chase should win the Blitnikoff. Okay, so we were we were I think we so, were yeah. we were at a bit. You were at a bit of a different place last week. I really wish you there were now, betting odds available for this because I can't find any. I really want to know what the market says right now. So why would if okay? Because I understand if you're going to say well, it's more than a statistical award, right? I understand then taking away if, like, let's say C.D. Lamb played in, like, a pro-style offense and he doesn't have as much production. Okay, well, that makes a bit of sense. But if you're both in these spread attacks and one guy is just far, like, far superior statistically, like, why should that guy not win the Blitnikoff? No, I think, yeah, I think Jamar Chase's case has been against great DBs he's played his best and he's breaking every LSU record, and he's, I mean, yeah, I, I was just kind of skeptical because I don't think he was hugely in the public consciousness like five weeks ago. Yeah, that's but it's, fair. But it's changed. Yeah, no, I mean, every week my opinion on it's changed, and I always go back to six weeks ago, I thought Justin Jefferson was the number one guy, and by the way, he's still at like an 83% catch rate. He's been unreal this year. But, yeah, I think Jamar Chase probably is the front runner right now. I really wish there were betting odds to have a, a clear picture because I think, I think the, the nation might know CeeDee Lamb more as the thing. Yeah, I think, and you know, I just I always go back to so many of these awards aren't voted on literally by like experts who are watching every game. So much of it's voted on, like Grant Delpit being a finalist for the Thorpe. You know, that's a great example. It, it is, yeah, that is true. That is true. It, and it, but I think Jason the front runner. Would see. So who else is it? Who's the third guy besides it's, uh, Michael Pittman at USC, whose numbers are pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we'll start with CD's Lamb's numbers. Yeah. He averages ninety-four yards a game. Uh, 20 yards a catch, and he has uh, 14 touchdowns. Uh, he's caught 50 balls for 1,000 yards. Very good. Uh, Michael Pittman, he averages 101 yards per game. He has 11 touchdowns. He has 12 yards per catch. He had a lot of catches, 95 catches for 1,200 yards. Those are all great numbers. Yeah, they're great. But here's Jamar Chase. 132 yards per game, which leads the country by 10 yards. Um, 17 touchdowns, which leads the country by one score, and that's despite playing in only 12 games. He averages 20.8 yards per catch, which leads those other two guys we just mentioned. And he's got, on just 70 catches, he has almost 1,500 yards. Like, that is... It's 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 to me it's 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 not even close. It is by far the most dominant statistical uh, statistical grouping of any any wide receiver in the entire country. So like I think if Jamar Chase does not win the Blitnikoff, and I don't think it was like this two weeks ago. I think if he does not win the Blitnikoff, then it is uh, then he's been robbed. Yeah, and, and I go to like. I think the the stats that really matter here when we're looking at all these things are yards per catch and yards per target's a really interesting one that uh, yeah. that and they are identical in those two categories. It's twenty point eight versus twenty point seven, and it's fourteen point seven versus fourteen point six based on yeah. that. So I mean, then, but, so, so if you're so if you're identical there, and then you have one guy that has yeah. significantly more production, then that's the guy that and, I think at least you have to give the award to. And Lamb's success rate is fifty six percent. Jamar Chase is sixty four point seven. Uh, 
Lamb has big, better explosiveness numbers, but all in all, I mean, yeah, I think Chase wins in the statistical categories. He's doing it against better defenses uh, f- from a general whole sense, and he's on, he's thrived on massive stages. So yeah, I, I think I've come around on the things I've seen from Jamar Chase since about early October have just been more than I expected from any kind of receiver. So yeah, I think he's you he would have my vote if I had a vote. Uh, by the way, Cade York is eighteen of twenty one on the year. 85%, and that includes 250 yarders last game. So, Cole Tracy was incredible, but who knows how good Cade York can be. Also, LSU fans, count your blessings because it is very hard to find a very good kicker uh, nowadays. So, um, I mean, right, just ask Alabama, right? It can, it can, even with some of the most sure recruits, it can go poorly. At times. Uh, although, thanks for pointing out, Brody, that that wasn't the number one recruit kicker uh, that I tweeted about Saturday. I texted you. I didn't want to. No, no. I'm a, see, you would have tweeted. The, no, a, the fundamental no, difference between you and me is no, you would have been oh. like, you literally just three hours ago tried to no, shame me on Twitter. You'd have been like, Brody, that's not right. Never. And I'm never. like, hey, man, I got you. Uh, that's never. actually our kicker. Well, yeah, I would do that. Love but you're buddy. a journalist. So I'm just trying to hold you to a journalistic <laughs> standard of integrity. Yeah, well, I, you know. I just believe in helping people. A lot of Alabama fans are like, it's not even him, it's not even him. And it's like, huh. So you mean the number one kicker is the backup behind the I'm guy? like, oh, who, who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? I mean, I didn't care. I just cared that he missed the kick. That was the entire point. I know. You were having a good time. Oh, I was having way, so much fun. Alabama, had, going back to the win expectancy thing, Alabama was like an 80-something percent win expectancy. Like, everything says they should have won that game. But yeah. that's football. Yeah. That, that, that is a little interesting to me that the win expectancy was that high given up. I just thought that if you give up two pick sixes – my brain is always like, if you give up two pick sixes, your win expectancy should not be very high. But I think uh, they kind of view that as a, a not exactly replicable thing. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, no, no, it's absolutely not rec- yeah, replicable. So, okay, so and that's why sense. I love this because, that like, sense that and whenever I bring this up, I have to stress to people when I say these things, that, that almost makes me give more credit to a team like Auburn. That's what, I know we're on a weird tangent, but I actually want to say this. Like, yeah. I actually give more credit to a team like LSU last year when they had so many win expectancies where they shouldn't have won, but they did. That's a sign of a team that knows Fighting how to win. win. That's that's a te- that's coaching. That's things like that. So I give credit to that. But what this does, and Bill, poor Bill Connolly and the FEI guys have to <laughs> argue this all the time, but it's like they're about predicting the future. So, like, as a resume stat, this has nothing to do with that. Like, Auburn should absolutely be ranked higher than Alabama right now, in my opinion, all those things. But what it's saying is, if you just look at a down-from-down perspective, like, Alabama's probably better than Auburn. I kind of think that. So, this is where things get a bit interesting, is I got in arguments about um, the FPI, ESPN's Football Power Index. Have you seen it? This week, where it stands yeah, right now? Yeah, I saw you throwing a hissy fit. Yeah. So I know that, okay, well, I mean, <laughs> that's a little aggressive. I was but. actually like waiting for this. I was looking forward to talking um, about this. Okay, so, so do you want to defend the football power index? I want to so, find your tweets so I can't use So let me, let me, let me, uh, let me, I'm, I'm also furiously scrolling my timeline, trying to pull up uh, my tweets, but I'm going through the yeah. Louisiana Renfest, okay. which was awesome on Sunday. Okay. So, right now, LSU's fourth. the Football Power Index has Ohio State 1 at 12-0, Clemson 2 at 12-0, it has Alabama 3 at 10-2, LSU 4 at 12-0, and then it goes Georgia, it goes Auburn at 9-3, and, and Florida at 10-2, and two, and then Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Penn State, Utah, whatever. Um, First off, all in all, I like that, 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 that Auburn and Florida are that high. Okay. 
That's so not the point, <laughs> here's here's my let me let me lay out my base problem with it. I get that this is a analytics infused uh, metric mm-hmm. ranking. It's like you said, it's trying to trying to expect what teams will do in the future. Um, my problem comes when ESPN then puts that on graphics. It puts the F- FPI ranking on graphics next to strength of schedule and next to like point differential, and they're and, and they're trying to use that as a debate piece okay. for who should be ranked number one in the playoff. I don't actually care about these rankings because like whatever this they're computer made they are they are yeah, but in a ranking setting you cannot try to use FPI as a legitimate metric. If it has a ten and two Alabama that lost to LSU at home in front of LSU, LSU beat three of the top seven teams yeah. under the FPI. Yeah, I mean, no, I think the key is it needs to just defend be- yourself. No, yeah, no, no. I, I, well, first off, I'm number one on the I, SP Plus is my favorite over FPI, but FPI is also very good. But it's for garbage. once, but Alabama also is number two in the SP Plus, so this is a defense of both of them. So here, okay, sorry, continue. I'll, I'll, I'll ask. I just think about it what has to go on here is it has to be a piece of the puzzle. I would never in a million years sit here and try to argue who's better, who deserves to be in the playoff based on what the SP Plus or FPI say. I would never do that because that is flawed. Like LSU was a top ten team last year, even when it said it was nineteen. Like there was no doubt about that in my mind. But it's a piece of the puzzle, and where it's important in viewing it, yeah, I agree. It probably shouldn't have been used as a debate tool. It should not. That it, was, it absolutely should not. Where it becomes really important is when you're finding a huge discrepancy between perception and what this says. That's where I really want well, to value you, it. Utah is interesting there, then, because Utah is 11 yeah. in these FPI rankings, and they look like they maybe even have the inside track on the Big 12. Absolutely. Even and though I, the Big 12 has a better resume. Yeah, and they're 7 in SP+. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think it's important when you're looking at an Alabama, for, which is not a bad example, by the way. Uh, I'm not claiming Alabama should in the playoff. Of course not. But like, it's just important when, say, hypothetically, if you're gambling on a bowl game or something like that. Like, Alabama... And the two, I think, complicates it, so maybe it's not a great example. But when a team's like ranked 11th, and this says they're third, I'm not saying that means they should be ranked higher. It means that I know that they're probably better than the perception thinks. Or, you know, I look at... Or, and the best example is a lot of the the low end of the SEC teams. I think that's the best example. Is some of those teams like your A&Ms and your Ole Misses and whatnot, where like you see a team that's 3-9 and nine for something. That's just a random number I threw out. But a team that's pretty bad, and everyone just thinks they're bad. It's not that it's more complicated than that, and that's my overall thing that I always want to study with this is like it's more complicated because A&M, for example, which this, they just got whooped, but they're better than people realize. They lost a lot of tough games to good teams by like seven or ten, and they're in general, I think, a top thirty football team. Yeah, I guess. Um, is this maybe where? Look, analytics are trying to do the impossible, right? They are trying to code the matrix. Essentially, they are trying to take a field with. 22 human beings on at any given time full of variables and they're trying to make uh you know an equation like they want to make numbers they say they can essentially help to inform to predict the future yeah i i feel that maybe this is where um i don't know do you think that maybe this is where they come up a bit short i mean we opened the show talking about the alpha factor and how it's almost something unquantifiable. You mentioned LSU's team last year, and how despite the fact that they didn't have these high win yeah. probabilities, and you shouldn't have been able to replicate it, they kind of did replicate it. Yeah, like they pulled a lot of those games out their ass. 
So, like, I, I, in my opinion, and that's why I just don't think that it can be used as, like you said, like a conversation debate piece for something like the playoff where you are ranking teams. Um, I think the numbers maybe fall a bit short in this instance. Or or, or do they reward yeah. you beating the shit out of bad teams? They, they're not you, supposed to. If you play, I, I know they're not supposed to. It's clearly to, a little, no, I'm not arguing. I think it's a little broken this year. The fact that Alabama's still two, there's something that must be broken might not be the right word, but there's something that might be a smidge just off. got to take a look under the hood and say, like, Yeah, okay, there's something not quite right. Is there an adjustment that, where's Alabama in the S&P? Two. Two right now? Yeah. And there are three in that? Yeah, it's almost it's like, not, yeah. do you want to take a look under the hood and see, are we missing something? Is there a variable here, an element there that could maybe be tweaked or changed? It's just, um, it's like I said, I have no problem with the FBI at all if it wants to exist and they want to throw percentages up. If it wants to live, I won't kill it. Well, it's like, it is, it's funny though, right? I mean, the FBI is the thing that's been saying that Alabama has like a 60% chance of making the playoff. Since in, in sixty whatever you know that's it's fifty fifty and the coin didn't go their way but uh, I just I, I I it did it did rub me the wrong way when I see an Ohio State graphic and it has FPI LSU four Ohio State one as one of the core three metrics that they're putting on the graphic when discussing this because it doesn't it's. And, and and like you said, you're ranking based on where they stand now, not future events. So even further in that regard, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I, I yeah. Because look, Bill Conley's always trying to advance. He's always trying to like tweak S and P. Right. He's, yeah. He's all. It's like it's like a, he's like he's like a Da Vinci. Right. Da Vinci was one of these <laughs> artists. He did not. Um, da Vinci was not like like a, a writer, Brandon Sanderson, right? Who just churns out books. I mean, my guy just turns out gems yeah. at an unbelievable rate. Some guys, like Patrick Rothfuss, who I love dearly, he's been working on the third book in the King Killer Chronicles for 10 years. And it's because he's meticulous. It's, it's like little delicate brushstrokes that he's adding here or there, changing this word or that. I, I think that's how Connolly kind of views the S&P. So I don't know. Maybe this year causes him to look at some of those things. Yeah. Um, and again, just last thing I'll say, we need to be smart enough, and that's our job, to realize that the extra context this is one piece of a massive puzzle that you should use but it's just we need to know the extra context we need to know that like hey they were actually trailing LSU the entire game and that matters and hey they they were really undisciplined against Alab- against Auburn that might not show in a box score but like yeah. that was re- like we need to know those things that's not like we can get mad at that for not knowing it that's all and like like you said the amount even though it's not a one for one perfect system which he knows it's not the amount that Connolly and, and and the FBI, I forget his name, I feel terrible. I think Seth, Seth Walder. Yeah. yeah, I went after him. Yeah, he, the amount that they've found a way to quantify things in football that historically have never been quantifiable, like, as a football nerd, I mean, I'm indebted no, it's to that. Great. Yeah. it's great. Like, I, I, I love analytics because they're used to inform. Just don't use them to decide something as significant Agreed. as playoff rankings when there's still a little disconnect there. Um, all right. Georgia time real quick. Yeah, let's get into some Georgia talk. I love this matchup for LSU. It's perfect on literally all fronts. Yeah. Um, their DBs aren't that good. Uh, their defensive line is very strong. Before we like, before we start, they are the number strong. one defense in, like, yes, the, in the country probably. And when so it's all relative, me, you know, yeah. And when people ask me uh, weeks ago, who would you rather play, Georgia or Florida, I consistently said Florida because of the Georgia defense. It's, it's a very good defense. 
However, LSU's offense is very good, too. And you're not going to convince me to take any defense against LSU's offense right now, and especially not a defense in Georgia who's, if they had a weakness, it would appear to be their corners trying to stay with LSU's receivers. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, because you point out this is an incredible Georgia defense. It is the best one of the better run defenses in the last few years of college football. It's fantastic. And they have a really good pass rush, too, which you can't ignore that. But if you're going to like play a matchup game, the LS, their defense is meant to stop the run to force the pass. The LSU is passed to set up the run. That's an so excellent way of putting it. I was trying to figure out how to word that in my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. so if, if, if you... The way that Joe Burrow will always say it is, is if you give LSU the pass all game, they will just take the pass. And then if you overcommit to the pass, they will just take the run. It is, it's really that simple sometimes is they take what they give you. The Florida game is the best example where they focus, and the Auburn game, they focus on taking away the pass, so they ran the ball. But, but if you yeah. give them the pass, which, I mean, they're going to take it, and LSU is going to have the advantage, like you said. They have, Georgia has great safeties, fantastic safeties, but they don't have the best corners, or at least it's not a strength compared to some other teams. So you can win that. I think what's going to be interesting is I don't think Georgia is the same personnel as Auburn in terms of being able to do some things, but it's probably number two in the country. And being, I don't know why my hand's yeah. so high in the air right now. Yeah. Well, but, you know, it's number two is a high number. There's yeah, only one, one number above two. <laughs> For those of you who know, my arm is shot into the air right now. Um, but – they can probably do. I was talking with Seth Emerson, the Athletics Georgia reporter, does a great job, and yeah. he was saying, "Yeah, he's like, I don't think they're quite Auburn's defensive front, but they can do some of that. Some of that kind of only use a few guys up front to stop the run, but use everyone else in coverage. I think they can experiment with that. Some that'll be interesting. But again, if you give LSU the pass, I think they'll win that battle. Yeah, and um, again, like Georgia and like, or excuse me, like Florida, like Auburn, um, and like many football games." Uh, the number one key will just be giving Joe Burrow time, and so yes. you got to feel good about a a full strength offensive line. Still not, you know, not the most dominant. Uh, they actually struggled great. against A and M. Yeah, um, good point. But but they they have stood tall. They stood tall against Auburn. They stood tall against Florida, and even in the Auburn game, maybe that's the one to look at, right? Because they took their licks early on. But they were winning the battles by the end of that game. And you saw some great adjustments, whether it was starting to prioritize Thad Moss a little bit to help beat the rush and move the chains and set up second and manageable, third and manageable. And again, we get back to another reason why I'll take this offense over anybody. The game planning and the in-game adjustments are so far and above what we've ever seen at LSU previous to this year that I always feel confident in Brady and Ensminger's ability not just to plan, but then to react whatever. Like, Kirby Smart's very smart defensively. He will have something that they're not going to expect that may put them on the back heel for a bit, but I believe in Burrow, Brady, Ensminger, the the holy trinity, to... um, to eventually figure it out. So there, and there's the rub with George. We talked about it being a good matchup on all fronts. I just don't see Jake Fromm being able to keep pace with this LSU offense. Yeah, and that's where I really think this matchup helps LSU. I think the offense defense matchup, that's just an incredible matchup. I think that's, Yeah, that's good on good. Yeah, that's great good on good. good. And I think in general, I think LSU has an advantage, but like that's gonna be great. I, if if they hold them like Auburn did, I wouldn't be shocked. But you think you think see I I know I, I think they'll I, win. I think if they held no, I think if they hold LSU under thirty points, that's a huge success. Oh yeah. For uh for which is why Auburn offense. that's why I consider Auburn the best. Yes, success. I yeah. agree. Yeah. But in general I think LSU who will win that defensively? I really think LSU has a huge advantage here because what does LSU struggle at? You know, some of that stuff in the middle of the field, some some back end yeah. tackling. The number one thing is they allow explosive plays. 
uh, I love Max Olson does his stop rate every week for the athletic. Here's, I think, the stat that explains LSU in a nutshell. They are number nine in the country in th- uh, th- three and out rate. Yeah. Like, I did not know that. From an efficiency standpoint, they stop teams. From a down to down point of view, they are a solid defense. It's that they allow big plays that affects their numbers. And it should. That's a huge problem. Against a team like Alabama, against Ohio State, that's going to be a huge problem. Against Clemson and ATN and all those guys, no it's going to be a huge problem. Against Georgia, it shouldn't be. <laughs> because Georgia is a more, I don't want to like make them sound like they're Stone give me, Age. Give me some good like analytics on how <laughs> unexplosive Georgia is. Yeah, so they are number 14 in offensive marginal efficiency. They are a, a bit of, not, old school's not the right term, but a little more traditional. They want to run the ball with DeAndre Swift. They're more pro style. I, there's some comparisons to an Auburn style, I guess. But from, from explosiveness, they are number 85 in iso- isolated points per play and 88 in marginal explosiveness. They do not break those plays, which I think dovetails. Dove, I don't think dovetails that, that works. Yeah, but it dovetails how it works. It kind of intertwines with the point you were yeah. previously okay. making. Because with LSU, LSU is 18th in stopping efficiency, but 88th in stopping isolated points per play. So it's almost identical. So but Georgia, it matches up perfectly. Georgia, yeah, Georgia is not well positioned to take advantage of the LSU defensive weaknesses, and LSU's defense is well positioned to stopping what Georgia wants to do. Yeah, because LSU is great at stopping the run in the front seven, which and like, people refuse to accept after the Ole Miss game. But yeah, that's like, that's a different thing. We're sitting here trying to tell you that's more of an open field get you on the, the perimeter. Ole Miss thing. Offense is gimmicky. You're not going to face another offense like that. No, no. Well, when it's more about the perimeter, offenses. that's the main thing. It's yeah. like, they weren't running up the middle traditionally. They were doing things on the perimeter to get them their corners. Their safeties in tough situations. Well, and because Georgia's you're not. using Plumley and 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 all this counteraction, um, you're you're constantly. Ole Miss was constantly a man up all night. No, no one else that you will face, not even Justin Fields in Ohio State, will be as committed to the quarterback giving you that man advantage every uh, single play. So, uh, so I so I think they stopped the run, and I think that works out for them in this game. And I think more so than anything, I mean LSU's DBs should be. Dominant, yeah, with those in, those receivers on Saturday, right now, which yeah. means if you need to load up the box, if you need to add to the rush, if you want to get creative, you want to get crazy. It feels like you really can because I'll take Derek Stingley and Christian Fulton against a couple of receivers who have about three hundred yards a pop on the year. That's why it reminds me of the Auburn game, just in that sense of like you can load the box. You can, yeah, like that's where the Mohampton thing also comes even bigger because I imagine Georgia's. You would think that it would be kind of similar where they're going to be in a good amount of run base sets and you see more Mo Hampton in there. So all of a sudden you have your entire middle nine, I guess the best way to call it, might be run stoppers. I wonder if, I wonder if Hampton is ready for the uh, – I mean, obviously he's going to get ready, but you know, it's one thing to plan for and then another thing to experience in the game. Yeah. If I saw Mo Hampton at deep safety, I would immediately be thinking play action. I mean, or at least eventually, right? Try to lull him into that yeah. security, then go for an explosive play over the top, which is kind of like Georgia's entire offense at times. Um, I do think that's what I'm watching for most of this game. You're right. Is yeah, yeah like how much does Randall really trust him? Cause, cause, exactly. Like that's I wrote about that, that's what I'm talking about. The which, trust, right? Yeah, which made me scared to write about it today because I'm like, they might never use him again. That might have just been a And M base, but it's interesting. That's we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I mean, how intimidated are you by From? He looked hapless against LSU last year. Because of the coverage, he didn't seem to go in a Now, Michael Davini had a huge game against Georgia last year. You're going to need someone to uh, you're going to need someone to replicate that pass rush. Two guys, Caleb well, Jason. They're going to be big. Yep. Two guys that are going to be very big this week: uh, Apu Ike and Tyler Shelvin. Because uh, when you're talking about Georgia's offensive line, and you could even extend that to Fajoko and Lawrence, but when you're talking about Georgia's offensive line, you're talking about by far the best offensive line that they have faced all year. 
center specifically. Trent, uh, what's the name? I'm blanking right now. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. Sorry. He, he's great. And so Shelvin and Ika, I've seen a lot of improvement. Though. These guys are talking about it every week. Uh, they're going to have to show up big to free those linebackers to stop the run, which, as you said, they've been good at. So. Yeah, I, I go back to last year's game. I mean, it's a different OC on Georgia, so it's worth mentioning that. But that was the game. That was Ed Alexander's yes. first start or second, but it was his first major game. And that was the game that like Ed Alexander became at, which I mean, it was it was when they moved him to a shade from yes. head up. It literally, but even from even before everything. they did that, the first play of that game was I forget what he did, but it was ridiculous. The first play of the game, he like took a double team, threw both guys off, made a tackle for loss. It was like that was the game where it was like, okay, this guy, and that's why they won that game because they stuffed the run. Ed yep. Alexander was a, like you said, the shade they did to take away the run that was huge. So I really think, like you said, those, one thing those that's rough for Georgia is if they don't start fast. And they get an early deficit. You saw it in Tiger Stadium, and that was with a massively less explosive offense last season. If they get down early, Georgia is not a team that's built for coming back. Like, if you start to just have them become multiple oh, obvious yeah. passing situations where you got to start slinging it with Fromm and those wide receivers, not only is that going to crack open the LSU pass rush, but the DBs, their eyes will get big. Like, they're thinking picks at that point. So... It's something to watch for, um, and it is every game. But, you know, some teams like like Alabama, they can come back just fine on you. They yep. can get Devontae Smith in one play, and you're dead. Uh, it's it's not like that with Georgia. Which is why they're going to be trying to, Braden Falco even said this yesterday, they're going to be trying to get that clock down as much as they can. Oh, they're, yeah. They're they, want to, to, they want to grind this game like to a halt, like an icebreaker. And just hope hope you can be the team that makes Joe Burrow make mistakes. I think that's really what it all comes down to. In the North Pole, Brody. What? Like an icebreaker. Like a giant ship. What about it? I don't understand. Like just grinding through the ice. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, like right. a, a very right. slow right. progress. That's what Georgia wants to but do. They're going to grind it out. Like the North Pole. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That Shout worked. out that Santa. Works. Big Santa guy. Uh, hey, you're wearing a nice Christmas sweater. I actually like that. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Do you see what it says? You filthy hobbitses? Yeah. That's good. Uh, I like to support you and your nerd. It's sometimes. like a little Home Alone and a little Lord of the Rings mixed. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Yeah, it's a very pop culture-heavy sweatshirt, which is what this podcast is really. It's It's actually a long sleeve tee, but it kind of looks like a sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I actually, you know, as if we're doing predictions, I actually think that LSU wins this game pretty handily. Do we know what a spread is early on? Oh, yeah, it's uh, opened at six, six and a half, depending on the book, and it more money has been pouring in on LSU. It's already up to seven and a half at most books. Public I, money, sharp money, do we know so, the breakdown? Yeah, I got you, man. Uh, pulling up to my website now, I got it in three seconds. But, I mean, it, I it, think that, here, I'll, I can give you three seconds. I, I, I think LSU wins by ten. I, I think LSU wins by two scores. I think that, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it actually went down a smidge in terms of odds, but 73% of public on LSU, which always can be a little scary. Mm, it but, is a little scary. But it's okay when it's 84% of money mm. is on LSU. So okay, it go. means that more money is still coming on LSU. Uh, as of Monday, which means you're also probably, I think the reason, as of Monday, it was 73%, 94% money. It was crazy money on LSU. Yeah. So my only guess for why it's starting to come down a smidge is you're probably seeing some sharp buyback on Georgia. Yeah. Like not? the same guys who took him at six are probably taking Georgia at seven point five, so you can middle that. Um, mm, just some good old degeneracy. I love this stuff, man. I know. I don't think it's degeneracy. I think it's playing a market, which is beautiful. It's like playing the stock market. That's why that's so so cool to me. Which I think you could also qualify as degeneracy. <laughs> Touche, sir. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> but yeah. Hey, man. Hey, my uh, uh, my best bet this week is UL Lafayette and the. 
in the their conference championship game against Appalachian State. Shout out if to you get it at plus seven. UL, uh, who their guard Kevin Dotson. Uh, I don't know why this remember me. I was looking at the PFF All American team. The UL's guard is the highest graded guard in the entire nation. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Billy Napier, what jobs he, you know, he's he's kind Especially of like linked. Especially with so many jobs open. He's like been tangentially like mentioned with all three SEC openings. Yeah. And I could see him working with all three of them. Arkansas makes a lot of sense, similar territory. Yeah, Billy's a good old country boy. Yeah, Ole Miss makes a lot of accent. sense, but I think they could maybe get a bigger fish maybe. Um, by the way, actually. What's a better job? Are I was you, just going to ask you that because okay. Stu Randell thought that Mizzou was the best job. Huh. And I don't know enough about Mizzou to comment, probably. Yeah, I think Mizzou's in a better like situation right now. Like they're in a situation where I think a good coach can go in there and win right away. Like they should they were supposed to win like nine games this year. They're good. Yeah. But that's also like I I would love to talk to Shay and those guys about this, Shay Dixon, can you because to I was gonna say, what is the recruiting landscape there? Are you just hoping you can have success in like in Texas and those areas? Or is it just kind of St. Louis, brah? Yeah, they got some talent there for sure. Kansas City. But I'm really interested. But my guts is Ole Miss from a big picture point of view because Ole Miss is a brand. Like Ole Miss is, despite all of your thoughts about it, is cool. Like there's something cool about Ole Miss. There's a history of bigger success there. I've always I'm and you're so, out of the recruiting sanctions. So Hanny asked me this question a couple Tiger Zones ago, which is like, let's say the money and talent level was equivalent between okay. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. Which job would you take? And we okay. both actually landed like independently on Arkansas. Oh, you're so, wow! I've always, I've I always, do not agree. I've always wondered if Arkansas is a, uh, a little bit of a. I think it's really tough. Diamond in the rough. I mean, recruiting stuff because Arkansas get, doesn't you, produce a ton of talent, but you a lot of resources, a lot of resources. That, that's what that that's why I think is like if you could be, and and this would just be down to you being a great CEO. Like if you're a big time coach and you can, Arkansas has more money than God. When you look at the yeah, billionaire one of the best alumni, facility teams in the country. Yeah. I mean, and they have no debt on any of their buildings. They got the really? Tyson Chicken people. They got the Walmart people. They got Jerry Jones. Yeah. There's another trucking billionaire or some. There's another billionaire that I'm missing there. About, yeah. The point is, they have more money than they would do. All they need is they need their. Uh, you know they 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 need that coach that is going to sell these Uber money guys. On the vision, and then, look, the bottom line, whether you like it or not, is that when you pour resources into a program, a lot of times it does translate to I, success oh, I, I on the field. Yeah. And so if he can sell the vision, I feel like Arkansas has a ton of potential. And, and you got no in-state rival. I guess that's, you know, Ole Miss, you're always going to be competing with Mississippi State. So, yeah, that's my you're, devil's advocate. Um, yeah. you're in, And even beyond Mississippi State, you're competing with Those other... schools will always tear each other down to some extent. Yeah. I love that line that it's like neither of those schools will ever win a national championship again because if one of them ever gets close, the other I forget who said it, I feel terrible. But like if any one of them ever gets close, the other one will find a way to tear them down. Which, yeah. Which you just saw with Ole Miss. Yeah. And I think I just always go I think yeah, I think when you factor in those two schools tearing each other apart, maybe Arkansas is the right pick in that situation. But I just think like Ole Miss I always go back to when you look this might be really stupid, but like I just think Ole Miss has like a coolness to it and a, a culture to it and like a, a more recent success there that like some there's something about it. if you're a five star guy. Okay, let's put this way. If you're a five star, which of those three schools would you consider? The answer is Ole Miss, I think. Like 
I think there's something more appealing to Ole Miss. You th- like the Mannings and so many stars in the NFL come from there and all these things. That's Th- fair. There's something there that like is a little more sustainable to win, but I kind of think you've convinced me overall that Arkansas, if all things were equal, might be the right choice. Yeah. But, be... this, but right now, Arkansas is the worst choice. Yeah, Arkansas is garbage right now. Um, Ole Miss, you're also inheriting that really exciting freshman class. Did you fall for the uh, – yeah, I know, right? Oh. Yeah, what did you think about the Matt Luke firing? Well, I I think it doesn't make a ton of sense unless you have someone in mind right now because you well the I was in Mississippi when he got hired. It's, it's interesting that the locals are all celebrating it, yeah. like the Ole Miss fans are all celebrating it, and it's almost like the national opinion we're like chastising them for celebrating it. We're I have like, two hey, things now. I don't know if that was a good idea. I have two things I'd say. One, Keith Carter I think said that like the big the new AD was saying the big issue was the apathy in the fan base you just couldn't get past so he might that's something that you and i don't know what the info on so like if that's real like you just have to you have to pull the trigger like we said that has been the local reaction they have been they are excited they're calling what uh what's his name did the piss that saved old miss that's hilarious because it basically got uh got got matt luke fired and like that's the same thing happened with florida state their ticket sales were down so much that like andy staples wrote really smartly like they couldn't literally financially afford not to fire him because he was getting so bad but then the other thing i'd say is i was in mississippi when he got hired and it was like this unspoken thing that everyone kind of understood even when people who criticized the hire they said it's basically a, a stopgap hire to keep things stable while they get through the sanctions. Yeah. And that's really unfair to a guy because, again, I think he overachieved. He put I, together a great staff. <laughs> a great staff. They completely overachieved this year, no matter whether they won the Egg Bowl or not. They have a lot of really interesting pieces. I don't quite get the firing from a literal, we're looking at it from this year point of view, but if the plan was always kind of that, and if the apathy really is what the they say, the main point. Then yeah, and if you have someone, because Ole Miss is appealing in a lot of ways, if you can get one of a Norvell or a, a, a Leach, even though I fell for the fake, I fell for it too. I didn't. Well, I, I was I like didn't one of the first people quote tweeting it, and like, <laughs> and I got so much flack. But here's, the, dude, it, it was, was a good fake. It was incredible. It was a great because I'm paranoid dude. about these things, so I double, I triple checked it. I was like, I looked at the handle; it was the exact same. I looked at the followers; he had like six thousand. So, so you know, yeah, it's at least no, it's a not a nobody. So I, I, I'm like, I, oh, it's I good. Think, I think that it's a. Uh, I think it's actually the English language's fault. I mean, who makes a lowercase l and a capital I the same thing? Or you know what? Maybe it's not the English language's it's fault because technically the font's they are fault. different. It's the fonts. The font makers. Fault. Let's find out what, what font is used on Twitter. Uh, I don't know. Let's find out and talk to that guy. Font. Yeah. 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 But I mean, heady move by that guy. All he did was in Rebels, he changed the L to a capital I, and you you literally can't spot a difference. And he even made like an edit for the, the Luke graphic. It was, I mean, for the Leach graphic. Yeah. But I was also excited. I want Mike Leach in the SEC. Me too. Starting to, by the way, you starting know, to sound like uh, Lane Kiffin to Arkansas might be a real thing. So have you, do you follow John Neighbors, who does Arkansas radio? Really funny oh, young yeah, guy. I've seen the stuff, yeah. Um, They've been doing some un. Real plane tracking. Oh yeah, they do some good stuff. Yeah. And uh, yes, there have been private jets flying to Boca Raton from Arkansas and back. And then, did you see the Arkansas ADs tweet? No. It was um, it was something along the line of like Air Hog One is in the air, and it was three stealth bombers with a uh, Arkansas logo tweet on them. I don't feel like an AD is throwing out a joke tweet like that unless they got their guy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's fair. And like I've heard uh, like a few things that like that that might actually be like pretty much happening. Uh, so yeah, Lane Kiffin. We need Lane Kiffin back in the SEC, man. So all of a sudden, the SEC West is going to have 
Ed Ogeron, his good buddy Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, who pissed off, uh, who hates Lane Kiffin, it seems like. Uh, then Ole Miss might have a new voice in there. I think as much as Mississippi State's been a mess, I think Joe Moorhead's a really smart guy and another fun personality. Jimbo, like the SC West coach right like next year might be the most interesting it's ever been. Is that crazy to say? But will the people actually be interesting is the problem. What I do just, you mean? I mean, this, I'm not SC, looking this, for fights. I just want like I'm personalities that, that matter. No, I know I'm saying, but this last SEC media day was the most boring SEC media day I've ever seen in my entire life. While 2019, 2018 was actually really fun, if I really? remember correctly. I'm just thinking, like, I'm remembering, like, Brett Bielema talking about being borderline erotic and oh yeah, and Steve Spurrier getting all of his Hall of Fame jabs and oh you're right, okay, it was and, better back uh, then, yeah. and and like Kevin Sumlin, like you, I thought we thought he was actually pretty great when he was feeling himself up there. It just last year felt last year felt like Jeremy Pruitt. But just across Jimmy the Prince entire, bad, yeah. but just across the entire yeah. SEC. And I guess I don't even want to cling to the media day thing. But like, can you think of another time where the SEC West? And again, we don't know these hires are going to happen. But I assume Ole Miss will bring in a relatively competent person there. Uh, or at least, do you think what, they should go after Mike Leach? I love it because Mike Leach is weird because he's he has Wazoo was horrendous when he took over. He's made them at least relevant. But like, if you actually buckle down into the numbers, he's not won a ton. And he has been unable to beat Washington. Whether the, you, how much stock you put in that, I don't know. But they've lost seven in a row to Washington. I, I need to find the exact. Yeah, I, w- I would like him more than Arkansas ish. I think it needs to be somewhere that needs a, a shake. You know, so maybe Ole Miss isn't a great fit. I think they need like a, a good stable coach. But I think like if you're in Arkansas or if you're a Florida State that's a mess right now. You know, if you're one of those schools that needs to to zig when everyone's zagging or needs a little something to level the playing field where you have problems right now, that's where I think Leach would need to go if he went back to the SEC or the South. Yeah, so I don't like him at Ole Miss. Looking yeah. for so Eddie Rat- uh, Radicevich, who is very funny, very. Um, covers Oklahoma. He said, surprising, Mike Leach has been a head coach for 18 years and his teams have won nine-plus games two times. Now, granted, a lot of that, you know, he's at Texas Tech, who is never any good. He's at Washington State, who in the previous, when Mike Leach got there, in the previous five years, they had more players arrested than they did total wins. <laughs> so, like, he did a great job, but it's still, um, it may be enough to spook off some of these, uh, to kind of scare off some of these uh, some of these schools that, like, they need something surefire. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. I just, I, I, I personally wouldn't look at like win loss records with because, like you said, the jobs he has, you oh, have, you have fair. to view it by context. It's like everyone in football knows Matt Campbell's one of the best coaches on on earth right now. He's at Iowa State. That's a yeah. really tough job. He doesn't win more than eight or nine most years, and that, but that's amazing. Like winning it with Texas Tell Tech that and to Kirk Ferentz, bro. I, right? Thank you. Iowa had the most <laughs> Iowa season of all time. Nine and three. Won some big Their games. Three lost some losses big games. were all by one score or less, and against very highly ranked teams. Iowa State is the most solid ass football team that's ever. Or Iowa, excuse me, this year is just a classic solid Hawkeye squad. And no. Kirk's going to get ten wins, baby. Bank it. Yeah, you just have to view the relative nature of it so I, I I just don't think I would discredit Leach for it but I think you 100% just convinced me in the last five minutes Ole Miss might not be smart to hire him but I love Arkansas hiring Lane Kiffin is a great example too but a Lane or a Mike Leach where it's like shake things up bring excitement just bring a fun nature someone who doesn't need star recruits that kind of thing and, and people you know the FAU thing is interesting lame because first year they're great second year they fell off a little bit and I feel like people kind of bailed and then this year they're back in the conference championship who's this? oh F- FAU? yeah FAU yeah, they're, they're, he's they're, a good coach they're number one in the country in turnover margin 
he's he's done a very good job. Yeah, and And past Alabama, which Lane lets you know on Twitter. I'm all you know as a as a gambler is like to say in a stock market player, it's all about finding value where you can find it, right? Lane Kiffin is the beautiful example of a guy who became underrated because he was overrated. Yeah, that's like, a good point. That's a let's really not good forget point. that the guy was a shoe in it at Tennessee. Yeah. Was an NFL coach at 30-something. Like, despite it not working, he was still talented enough and like smart enough to get those jobs. And he had Tennessee. It looked like, I mean, it's impossible to predict, but he was recruiting like crazy with Edo and was like, like things were going the right way. He got to USC. I don't think he was a disaster at USC. It just wasn't what they wanted. Yeah. He didn't win as much as they hoped. Well, USC's obviously got problems at the top. Yeah. Look at what's happening. So in like sense. Lane Kiffin did not succeed anywhere, but he was still a big enough deal and a hot shot at a young age to get these jobs. He learned a lot of lessons, worked with Saban, succeeded at FAU. It's like because of him failing multiple times, people suddenly thought he was bad. There's value there. There's a ton of value. It's like you said, there's a ton of value there. Uh, I love, uh, did you see him tweet the meme too? The, the oh, yeah. crying girl cat meme. We didn't have to. <laughs> it says, yeah, you did. Too many players on the field. Oh, man. You know, okay, you know what is great about that? And Rivers, I don't know where she read this, but she pointed this out as far as the Alabama-Auburn game goes. I didn't realize that was Gus Malzahn manipulating Alabama into putting an extra guy on the field. Um, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, it was, it was, I can't remember exactly how she explained on the show. Yeah, I don't fully like, understand it. I just know he gets <laughs> It was like, yeah, exactly, right? That seems to be the accepted idea. But but it was it was like a sub package that he had, and the guy's stepping in and out, whatever. It, it, it wasn't as simple as Alabama just being um, dumb. It was a very heady play from Gus Malzahn. Uh, and Alabama lost. Now the playoffs. And LSU, if they win, will be in the playoff. So, final prediction on George? LSU 34-17. Oh, I'm right really, there with you. Sounds think, great. Yeah, that's my okay. nice and nice and rounds numbers there. Um, everybody have a great day. I am T Bob Abear. He is Brody Miller. Enjoy your week. Enjoy this weekend. Are you going to the Atlanta? Yeah, I'll be there Thursday. And you're going to be back in your your old stomping grounds. Yeah. When I'm you excited. get there Friday, right? Uh, I'm getting there Friday afternoon. Going to yep. go to dinner with the boys. You going to hang out with me at all? On Friday, uh, maybe Friday come night. To dinner. Maybe you're dabble. probably you're probably doing like uh, you're probably doing like uh, like journalist partying Friday night. Who are you meeting I don't up know with? What that like, means. like Ross Do Dellinger have- and like Andy Staples. They're gonna like drink some whiskey and like talk about writing and stuff. That's not what we do. But uh, you go to the library, you go uh, read books over some beers. Just sit in front of a computer and like look at SB Just Plus type. stats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, I guess my point I, is- I'll probably be with them, yeah. I figure, yes, that's what I'm saying. I figured that you have previous social engagements. I will be with a lot of my high school friends. We're going to do a dinner Love your together. high school friends. Um, so I can squee. invite you If you would love to come, you can have a company. Yeah, Squee. Oh, God, he's classic, isn't he? Uh, and then- uh, I, I don't know if I want to go out Friday night because I am doing my five-hour pregame show on Saturday. Oh, true. Yeah. Uh, what time's kickoff? I think it's a th- 4 o'clock Eastern time. Okay, so 4 o'clock, so it's going to be 11 o'clock start time. I mean, I can do some drinking Friday night. I'll text you, buddy. We'll see that. I'm definitely we'll, going out Saturday We'll let you guys know on Tuesday, next Tuesday's episode. Definitely going out Saturday night. Might be tougher for me, but yeah. Oh, I gotta, you, uh, yeah. well, one will be working later. Two, also, like we have to fly back quickly to be back to make sure I'm in time, like watching the announcements, the selection show, mm, like ships passing in the night. But it's not a, it's not a no. It's just a, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, uh, subscribe to the Athletic and buy your Christmas meats from A Bear Specialty Meats. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great day.